So beginning today and for the next several weeks, we'll be focusing, as I mentioned earlier, our attention on the theme, Places in the Heart, which will allow us the chance to think about the passions of our hearts and how we exercise those passions in the world and in the church, as Pat was sharing with us earlier. A little later today, we will celebrate at our congregational meeting tangible ways that we got to employ the passions of our heart this past year to make a difference in so many ways. 2018 was a great year for Church of the Palms. Our Palm Center was completed. New ministry started, 90 plus people joined the church. About a half million dollars were directed toward community and global missions. It was a great year. And back when the Palm Center was begun, we took out a line of credit from a bank to use during construction with the idea that we would pay it back over the couple of years after the building was finished and our deferred maintenance list was completed and our mission pledge was honored, all of which have taken place. The good news is, as I've told you before, we never had to use the line of credit except for about 10 minutes and instead we borrowed from ourselves and now we are in the season of paying ourselves back to return to a good solid fiscal foundation. We significantly underspent our budget this year, hats off to our staff, and along with your great generosity, we came to less than 1% of reaching our challenge giving goal this year. We've been able to start paying ourselves back. Our Open Palms campaign concludes at the end of March, and presently we have around $300,000 still to receive on pledges made. In addition, we have some capital issues that need to be addressed. We have a big campus, a big 19-acre campus with seven buildings that always has something to be addressed. Right now, we're looking at the need to update our campus center and kitchen, our chapel, update our chancel here in the sanctuary. None of these things have been touched since long before I got here, along with a few other things so, we don't even f so that we don't fall even further behind. So there will be an additional $700,000. So in essence, we have a million dollars of capital need in front of us paying ourselves back and then an additional $700,000 in building improvements. So over this next month, we will be asking you to ponder and pray about three avenues of generosity this year. First and foremost, our annual ministry budget, which is priority number one, that's the first thing, and that's about $2.8 million, a little less than 2% increase from this past year. And then secondly, completing your Open Palms pledges by the end of March, the final $300,000 of our original campaign. And then thirdly, in what we'll be calling the Open Palms Extra Mile campaign, joining us in raising an additional $700,000 over this calendar year to complete what needs to be done in the next year or so. Throwing a lot of numbers at you, but we're trying to pay ourselves back, complete the capital projects, and keep going strong in our ministry and mission. More on this later at our congregational meeting and in the weeks to come, but we pray that you will keep these in your minds and hearts as you consider your generosity plan for this year. Now, none of this is the reason for the title of my sermon, Heartburn. <laughs> Instead, the theme comes from two passages of scripture that are found in the New Testament. The first, the gospel according to Luke, the 24th chapter, beginning at the 31st, 13th verse. Hear the word of God. Now on that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and talking with each other about all these things that had happened. And while they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself came near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, 
what are you discussing with each other while you were walking along? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who does not know these things that have taken place here in these days? He asked them, What things? And they replied, Well, the things about Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word, and before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day, since these things took place. Moreover, some women of our group astounded us. They were at the tomb early this morning, and when they did not find his body there, they came back and told us that they had indeed seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. And some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it, just as the women had said, but they did not see him. Then he said to them, Oh, how foolish you are, and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have declared. Was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things and then enter into his glory? And then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them the things about himself and all the scriptures. As they came near the village to which they were going, he walked ahead as if he were going on. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, because it's almost evening, and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. And when he was at table with them, he took bread, blessed, broke it, and gave it to them. And then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. And they said to each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he was talking to us on the road, while he was opening the scriptures to us? In the same hour, they got up and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven, their companions, gathered together. They were in saying, the Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. And then they told what had happened on the road and how he had been made known to them in the breaking of the bread. And then from the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus speaks and says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust consume and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust consumes and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. By your grace and through your mercy, we pray that you will allow these words to come to point to the word just read into the word made flesh in Jesus the Christ. We pray this in his name. Amen. The 18th president of our country, Ulysses S. Grant, in his memoir tells a story of when he was a young boy, about eight years old, and had his eye on a horse owned by a name, man who lived outside of town, a Mr. Ralston. This Mr. Ralston had offered to sell the horse to Ulysses' father for $25, but his father would only pay 20 He said it was only worth 20 Well, Mr. Ralston took his horse and went home, not accepting the offer. Young Ulysses was very disappointed, so he begged his father to buy the horse at the asking price, but his father said, no, it was only worth 20. 
But young Ulysses kept pushing, and finally the father, the father relented and gave his son $25 and explained to him the art of negotiation. You go to Mr. Ralston, and you offer him again the $20. If he doesn't take it, offer him $22.50. If he doesn't take it then, then offer him the $25. So young Ulysses walked a couple of miles outside of town to Mr. Ralston's house and embarked upon his first experience of horse trading. He knocked on the door. Mr. Ralston came to the door. Young Ulysses blurted out, Papa says I may offer you $20 for the colt. But if you don't take that, I'm to offer $22.50. <laughs> and if you won't take that, to give you the $25. Grant adds in his memoir, it would not require a Connecticut man to guess the price finally agreed upon. <laughs> but then Grant also adds, this transaction caused me great heartburning. The story got out among the boys of the village, and it was a long time before I heard the last of it. This transaction caused me great heartburning. Interesting that the idea of heartburn in the, this day and age does not bring to mind anything pleasant. When someone tells you that they've got heartburn, what comes to mind is that acid reflux-related burning pain behind your breastbone that makes you think you're having a heart attack. No fun. Or, like Brother Grant, heartburn is the word that we might give to some nuisance or unfortunate event that causes distress or ridicule. This transaction caused me great heartburn. Heartburn in the 21st century is a painful physiological and or emotional event. But the Bible looks at heartburn in a very different way. First, because the Bible looks at the word heart in a very different way. No other word is used more often in the Bible, other than the names of God, than the word heart. No other word used more often in the Bible than the word heart. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not upon your own understanding. Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and neither let them be afraid. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. And from our scripture this morning, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So when you read the Bible, what you learn is that the heart is the spiritual epicenter of your life. When you say heart, biblically, you're saying not the organ, of course, but the soul. You're saying the core of your soul. You're saying the deep, deep essence of your being. Physiologically, the brain is the nerve center of our body's functions, but spiritually, the heart is the nerve center of everything our souls tell us to feel and to do. To say we're sad, we say my heart is broken. To say we're glad, we say my heart is full. To say we're in love, we say I give you my heart. To say that someone should be more compassionate, we say have a heart. To say someone is uncompassionate, we say he is heartless. So the biblical understanding of heart is always to imply that there is in our hearts, it's in our hearts where we find the passion and the joy and the meaning of life and the greatest of all the gifts, the gift of love. So it's interesting in the story read this morning that we find two, shall we say, broken-hearted men. 
They've been allowed, they've been followers of Jesus and have signed on to Jesus' great mission of love, love God, love neighbor, love stranger, love enemy. But this whole mission of love has come to a violent end with Jesus dead on the cross. And they're heartbroken. They are sorely disappointed. They are disoriented because they believe that this love mission was an eternal one, a perpetual one. So as we read this morning, the men are joined by another man with whom they have discussion about these things. And when they sit down to break bread, Scripture says that the two men's eyes were open and they realized that the resurrected Jesus was in their midst. And when they recognized the resurrected Jesus in their midst, they say, were not our hearts burning within us? Was not the spark fanned again in us? Was not the fire kindled within us? Was not the command and life of love ignited inside of us? This is what happens when you and I find ourselves within the presence of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. We experience this heartburn. Something catches on fire. We're not our hearts burning inside of us. So when you hear the word heartburn in the Bible, what you hear is the awakening to the very essence of existence, which is the life of fiery, passionate love that we find in the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. When we experience heartburn, we experience first the loving presence of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. When we experience heartburn, we experience what C.S. Lewis said, that we have to get closer and closer to the fire. And then second, if you want to stoke the fire, if you want to stoke the heartburn, you begin to share your heart with those with whom God shares God's heart. I'll say that again. When we experience heartburn, biblically speaking, we experience first this loving presence of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and we know then that to share our lives with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, it is to share our lives with those with whom God shares God's heart. Heartburn is what you feel when you take the shares of your heart, the shares of your time, talent, and treasure, and you place them in those places and people where we know God's heart resides. That's what those disciples remembered, all those places and people where Jesus took his heart and shared it. The poor, the hungry, the grieving, the disabled, the lepers, the unclean, the outcasts, the opposition, the, the, the nobodies, the somebodies, all those people who might wonder if God really loves them. And today, that's where we're going to find the resurrected Christ, when the fire of our hearts compels us to share our hearts to, in those places where God gives the shares of God's heart. And what happens when we do that is the fan just keeps getting flamed. The, fan, the flame keeps getting fanned. And so much so does God identify with these people that Jesus says, when you feed the hungry, you feed me. When, 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 you, when you offer water to the thirsty, you're offering me something to drink. When you, when you visit somebody in prison, you are visiting me in that jail cell. All those folks who might wonder if God still loves them, that's precisely where Jesus shows up. That's where you will find me, Jesus says. So it makes all the sense that when Jesus warns us, he warns us this way. He says, you know, where your treasure is, your heart's going to be there. It's just a fact of life. 
Wherever we are preoccupied, that's where the attention of our hearts will be. Whatever it might be, work, investments, family, the hungry, grandchildren, the retirement account, the last gadget on Amazon, the last post on Facebook, the last style of shoes. Wherever you are preoccupied, that's where your heart is going. And here's the deal, Jesus says, if God isn't where your heart is going, then the flame of your heart starts to flicker. And the fire starts to go out. Like taking a burning coal out of a fire and setting it aside. For a while it stays red. But then little by little it turns black and cold. Our hearts burn where the flame of God resides. If you want to get warm, Lewis said, you have to get close to the fire. Makes me think of when we bought our first home, Amanda and I. It wasn't until we moved to Sarasota 10 years ago when we were finally able to purchase our own home. And, you know, there's a great deal of uh, pride and love and preoccupation that goes into your home, especially your first home. And you work on things and you decorate and you furnish and, and you know, it, it kind of preoccupies you. And because it preoccupies you, that's where your heart is, right? Our hearts are in this new house of ours. So... We close on this first house of ours, sign our lives away at the lawyer's office. Two days in the house, I flush the toilet, and what I flush comes up into the shower. <laughs> Isn't that special? <laughs> the bloom is beginning to fall off the rose. The flame is beginning to flicker. Now remember, this is where my heart is. So imagine what happens to the flame of my heart. Just a little more extinguished. And with every repair since, a little bit more <laughs> extinguished. So it makes all the sense in the world when Jesus says, don't lay up treasures on earth where moth and rust consume, where thieves break in and the plumbing backs up. Not sure he said that, but it does explain why Jesus never bought a house. <laughs> because he said, watch out. Because where your treasure is, your heart's going to be there too. And what God wants is for our hearts to be where God is. What God wants is for our hearts to burn like his heart. Burn with life and with love. Burn strong and bright. And they burn strong and bright wherever God is preoccupied. That's why I love hanging around this place. This is, this is such a passionate place. It's lots of hearts on fire. Lots of people doing lots of amazing things for people who need help. Lots of people spending time. Lots of people sharing their talents. Lots of people giving generously of their money. A lot of preoccupation here with the people and places where God's hanging out. I can't wait even for next week for our Mission Expo where we'll get to learn about our partners near and far who are reaching out on our behalf with God's love and with our help to bring good news for people who are desperately wondering if God still loves them. And there's nothing better than being with someone and helping them to see and to hear that God, yes, God loves you. 
to draw them a little closer to the fire. Makes me think of my old friend George. George was a guy in my first church whom I would ask to join me in serving home communion to homebound people. Every couple of months, George would accompany me and we would visit these people who have been growing further and further isolated from the world. And George was great. He would make great conversation with them and charm, charm them with a twinkle in his eye. And one day we visited Fanny. Fanny was a 92-year-old sweet spirit. But without going into the details, Fanny's family had placed her in a very, very poor nursing facility, nothing like anything you see around here, and she was suffering from it. And as we served the bread and cup amidst the squalor of this residence, I could see these pools of tears forming in George's eyes. And after our visit on our way to the car, George said, Pastor, we have to do something about Fanny. We just have to. We have to make sure she's cared for right. So George took up Fanny's cause with her family first and then with facilities in town. And long story short, he got her to a new place where she could be and where she should have been, where she could be cared for rightly and loved. And then he made it his weekly habit to visit her and to see how she was doing because her family wasn't. He did it until her dying day. And I said to him once, George, you know, it's so good of you <laughs> to take care of Fanny the way you do. It is it's quite a sacrifice on your part. Oh, oh, George said, you got it wrong, Pastor. The time I'm with Fanny is the best time of the week. To be with Fanny is to be with Jesus. We're not our hearts burning within us.